1: On this special episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we celebrate our one-year anniversary with our old pal Melissa and then talk with a survivor named Conti about her abusive relationship, generational trauma, obsessive thoughts, and healing from PTSD. This episode is a journey, an exploration, and is easily my favorite ending to an episode that we've ever had. And now, before we get to our very special episode, one-year anniversary episode with myself, my old pal Melissa, and then eventually with Conti, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A big shout-out to all of our friends on our Narcissist Apocalypse Facebook support group for just being a great group of people. Also, a reminder, if you haven't left us a review... On whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc leave us a five-star review if you can, written review, if not just a regular five-star review. And quickest way to be on our episodes isn't just to be a guest, but really is to be a guest on our Letters to My Narcissist episode that I do with my old pal, Melissa, who you will be hearing from in a second. Say hi. Hi. There you go. She's right there. That's how, That's how close we are right now. <laughs> If you want to read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode, volume three, we have a voicemail recorder on our website to record. Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It is on the right side of the page. It's a button that's floating around that says send voicemail. Click on it. It records up to five minutes. You need more than one like little shot at five minutes. You need 10, 20, 30. Record as many times as you need. And if you don't want to read the letter yourself and you want me and my old pal melissa to read your letter right melissa
0: yep right
1: go and send us an email yep. at narcissist at <laughs> gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line a couple other announcements before we get started here before this one one year anniversary episode gets started Whoop. is Uh, Well, we started another podcast and it's called Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A and we will be interviewing therapists and coaches, authors, researchers, journalists and our first episode is out for that podcast. It is with Julie L. Hall. And she is the author of a book called The Narcissist in Your Life, recognizing the patterns and learning to break free. I've read the book. It's a wonderful book, and it's got some heavy praise from some big names. So go listen to that podcast. It looks exactly like the same podcast art that I currently have. I don't know if that's confusing or not. It says question and answer underneath. Maybe that will help. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea if I've made the right decision on, on doing that. Uh, we'll find out in the future. But go listen to that podcast. Subscribe to that podcast. Uh, this upcoming week we have an, another guest coming on, and that will be uh, Debbie Tudor. And she is on our episode to talk about the family uh, system, uh, narcissist family systems, and all of the roles and everything under the sun with uh, that. So go listen to that. But also, everyone, also <laughs> – My hand is stretched (laughs) up in the sky and (laughs) Melissa is staring at me. I'm being very animated over here. Also, we have our directory, abusetherapy.org. We have uh, our initial people on there if you need help, if you need a therapist, if you need a coach. Uh, We have, I think, around 21 people on there right now signed up. For you to go and see, we're trying to add more every single week. If you're a therapist and listening to this or a coach and you want to be a part of that directory as well, the more we have on on there, the better for everyone. Um, And if you need help, you know, these people uh, know narcissistic abuse, domestic abuse, and are there to help and are there to, uh, um, you know, if you want to reach out, if you're looking for a therapist, go to that website, abusetherapy.org. Are you going to go there?
0: I'm going to go there.
1: There you go. I'm going there right now. You're going there right now. And (laughs) now, let's just, what's going on over there?
0: I'm just listening to... uh, My ramblings? (laughs) Yes. The the
1: ramblings of a madman?
0: (laughs) Um, No, I'm just excited. Brandon and I uh, recorded the first episode together.
1: February 10th. 2019.
0: So almost
1: one year ago. Tomorrow when this is released, it will be one year to the day. Mm -hmm. And boy, how our lives have changed. Right. Like uh, if you told me after we recorded that episode at the um, home of your boyfriend's parents, the Chilean sea bass... (laughs) God. Um, oh. And if you were to tell me that this was going to happen, that, right. we, that a year later we would be sitting here, we would have all of these people that listened to the show mm-hmm. and then we would have changed people's lives, that we did a fundraiser.
0: Yeah, man. It's crazy to think that, you know, we. I, I feel like at the time we were sort of just flying by the seat of our pants a bit
1: yeah on i that, mean it 's
0: mostly you because I was just like a participant, but
1: well, yes and no, you I, had a
0: lot of thought out um, ideas, but the podcast I feel was not the thing that you thought would go this
1: far well no was it, it? this was not a glimmer in in my eye, obviously, I had um, more of a comedy route going on 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 episode one. Yes, that's true. But there was a problem with that. There was no funny. (laughs) (laughs) It was a pretty dark episode. Um, And it wasn't until, I forget how many weeks after, four or five, I think it was like five weeks after when I got an email from someone who resonated with your story specifically that's right i remember that happening and you were you know coming into toronto and you were on the bus i think coming in and you had all of these terrible feelings coming in and now you came in today and you have a different um set of feelings coming in
0: yeah i don't really think about this person anymore um like I've also started to see a therapist and start to delve into uh childhood things which inadvertently tie into, you know, adult problems. And uh actually a really big deal for me happened not too long ago where cuz I I'd, I'd constantly be having these dreams about this person, my ex. And in the dreams, I would just be this helpless person as I was in the relationship. But then this past week, I had a dream where things worked out the way that I wanted them to work out. And we just broke up and he was a normal person about it and was like sort of oh, this is really too bad, but this is what's best for both of us. And it was like this very healthy breakup. And I woke up and I was like, damn, that was the first time I ever had a dream that wasn't like cripplingly, uh, you know, just depressing and scary and like just gave gave you all those bad memories. I woke up thinking like, okay, yeah, like that's, it felt like closure, So,
1: Do you credit your recent therapy with this?
0: Well, actually, I think, yes, that, but also I was listening to another podcast where a woman who had been severely abused and had all these awful nightmares um, all of a sudden had this dream where she was... In control, and she said she just turned a corner with all of her abuse because all of a sudden her subconscious, you know, didn't put her in that position anymore, and she was all of a sudden the one that could take control. So that was a big deal for me. It sounds kind of silly, but um, I don't really. I did talk to my therapist about like how it's really kind of like scary to think about what happened sometimes, but I'm starting to not feel as scared.
1: Do you still feel like you're the narcissist?
0: Because um, that was
1: a big thing n- back then.
0: No, not now that I've had a couple years under my belt with somebody else that is actually a really good person and super compassionate and generous and empathetic and we've sort of been mirroring that with each other all those good things now i, I back to my og self you know
1: <laughs> back to like
0: who i actually was but had lost
1: i was gonna break into the uh, m m song right there you know which one <laughs> no I forget how it was like, back to reality. Back. To reality.
0: <laughs> Anyways, though, that's all really serious stuff. We don't have to be that serious.
1: I just. Oh no! Well, you had you had a year. You had a big a year. year. Yeah, yeah years. Because you know the shape you were in that day.
0: It was bad. It was bad. I was, bad. I was in a bad way that you, you, day. You were
1: in a very bad. Like I walked yeah. in that door, and I was like, okay.
0: yeah that was poor poor you you had to deal with like a train wreck that day (laughs) and like self like self-imposed train wreck too i wasn't just like i'm trying to chill out till brandy gets here it was like i'm just gonna drink and be depressed and then be interviewed you know
1: so we had a good time
0: it, it, it was good, I guess.
1: So, you know, one of the things for me within the last year, and hopefully we're not boring anyone while talking about it. I feel
0: like we are. <laughs> I feel like I just was, I, I oh, don't, no, I don't no. even know if I want people to hear that stuff. I feel like I'm just talking about myself.
1: The, well, the one thing, you know, this being the year anniversary, like a, a big thing as the momentum kind of picked up with everything, I'm like, we something's going on here. And, you know, when I showed up in Hamilton, The first time at the kitchen table when we did the first letters for a narcissist, I think I said to you while I was there, like something's going on. Like this is, there's a, as I said before, this is like a car ride right now. It feels like we're in a car ride. We're in a ride and people are joining us on this ride and me getting on the go bus did I go in? Yeah, I got that through the go bus the first time. Getting to your place was like a pilgrimage for me to see you again because I don't, I don't think I saw you within no those like four not. months. So it felt like I was returning home to report back in a way. In a way, like for me, you were the only one that knew what I was doing. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't... Yeah, tell, I, didn't, I guess so. I didn't tell anyone else what I was doing.
0: But didn't you have a few episodes at that point?
1: I had episodes with other people, but I didn't, like, tell my friends... Right. ...what was yeah. going on.
0: It was very much still, like, you and I kind of...
1: It was just a, a thing, like, I was only sharing this. with you. Yeah. So... When I got there, I was just excited to share with you, like, this is what's happening. Like, listen to
0: these letters, these super intimate letters. And yeah,
1: people are sharing stuff.
0: I remember that we were really like moved by, by those letters. And then that would have been like the midway point, I think, because that was like June or July.
1: That was June. That was in June. so And we we didn't start a regular schedule because ours was in February, but we didn't start a regular regular schedule until uh, end of April, beginning of May. So very quickly when the regular schedule started, and I was doing two a week back then. I was doing two episodes and I was not doing any vetting. Someone got a hold of me. I'm like, pick up the phone. I'm putting on the recorder. Let's go. There was no process (laughs) at all. And we just went. There was no, like, I didn't have any basis of, is this too long? Are people going to stop listening? Like storytelling ability. We were just trying to put out as many episodes as possible. And then when I started getting statistics and I started realizing, oh, we put out an episode on Monday. And then we put an episode out on Thursday or Friday people would wouldn't listen to the if they didn't listen to the one before they might miss that episode so it wasn't fair to whoever was had the monday episode because all of a sudden you're you're getting cut off and someone's going to listen to this other one first and then if they you know they might not listen to yours you know people there's only a certain amount of time during the week that people have for listening to podcasts so that kind of became a thing eventually we changed and then, you know, people started kinda of coming on board. Billy Jean came on board and it helped us. Hello, Billy Jean. Hello. And
0: Hope you're doing well yes. out there.
1: And then kinda of things grew and grew and I think by September, beginning of September, I was like, this is now a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And at that point it was like, okay, there's, this is how many emails I'm getting a day. This is how long it takes me to write back. And then when I write back, then as soon as I finish writing back, all of a sudden all those people have returned those emails. Yeah, because
0: I don't know if anyone knows this, but Brendan's doing this completely on his own. Um, I'd love to take credit, but I don't do any work whatsoever (laughs) except come on the podcast every few months. Um, so well, and it, now there's, like, a community, right? It's not just yeah, you're getting random people, random voices. It's, like, now there's a
1: yeah, community and online. For, like, the Facebook support group, we have Jules who uh, helps me out there, and it's fantastic. And so she's helping out. Okay, shout there. out to Jules, shout my to bad. Jules. <laughs> and so it just kind of snowballed. And if you were to have told me on February 9th, or February 10th of last year when we recorded this episode, that this would become my life, I, it was not even a thought process of mine, not even close to a thought process of mine. If you're listening to this right now, it means we cut out 15 minutes of this podcast because we went off on tangents that you didn't want to hear. So now, on behalf of myself and my old pal Melissa... Say hi. Hi. (laughs) We're just going to get out of everyone's way. And here is our episode with Conti. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse. I am with Conti tonight. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good. And we got the giggles now. So you're going to tell us your story uh, this evening. And it's uh, related to generational trauma. And, you know, it starts off with a grandparent and then, uh, you know, it it goes into your dating life uh, eventually. And anyway, I guess that's the bulk of what we'll be concentrating on. And I guess before we get, we begin, um, I actually uh, and see, I told you I was going to flub over my <laughs> my words, and I'm doing it right <laughs> I now. Should, Sorry, continue.
2: I should warn you, I am a, a nervous giggler, so there will be giggling <laughs> at an appropriate time.
1: Well, I, I I before this even began, everyone, I was talking about how I flub over my words a lot. And I just did it, and I'm going to keep it in. So now I'm just blabbering. I'm going to get out of your way. The floor is now yours to tell your story. And thank you for being here with us tonight.
2: My mom was um, born into an extremely toxic, extremely <laughs> abusive background. on um, rape drugs, all of that. My dad, not so much, but he was the ultimate distraction. My mom was the third of six marriages with my dad. I was thankfully the only child born of that. Uh, Either way, it was a problem that started a long time ago. With me, my dad was not really there. Um, My parents got divorced when I was four. My mom moved the states away. We ended up homeless for a little while. It was a whole thing. Um, My mom sent me to live with her parents, who she figured after years and years and years had mellowed out, and they really hadn't. Um, So she sent me to live with my grandparents from ages 9 to 13, and uh, it fell out okay. It fell out fine, but as soon as my mom was trapped trying to go back to school and trying to get her life in order and trying to do everything, um, uh, things started to go downhill. I was always a really skinny, overactive kid, very, very rambunctious, very hyper. And uh, my grandparents didn't really take kindly really to that at all. Um, Instead of food, I was denied food. I was denied swimming, bathing water. I was denied a safe place to sleep. I walked and walked outside the house for hours and hours. Um, basically, you can just kind of wrap my whole childhood up into. A series of unfortunate events and a series of increasingly alarming amounts of isolation. So that was the environment I grew up in. Um, I did go to my grandparents' house at 14 when my mom finally got her shit together or got her life together and got her new degree and got a new job. But the damage was kind of done. And, um I She got me into therapy pretty early on. I was diagnosed pretty early on with, I mean, like 13, I think, 13 with OCD. Anxiety was the first time I was diagnosed and had been in and out of therapy for a long time. Um, But some of the things my grandmother would say and do was um, there was like endless catchphrases, like things she would say over and over again that got lodged in my head over time. There was, what the fuck is wrong with me? There was, um, no one ever you. There was, you're too weird for anyone to care about. There was, um, <laughs> there was actually a running bet in my family for a really long time that I would end up a teenage dropout with a bunch of kids, addicted to a bunch of things with no one who would ever really actually care about me. And as a kid, as a teenager, I was really, really determined to resolve all that wrong, so I pushed myself very hard. And I did end up actually getting into uh... to major university, and I was the first one in my family to get admitted, let alone go, and finish. Um, this relationship started in my uh, the the later half of my junior year of college. It was actually
1: So your relationship with your narcissist? Yes. Okay.
2: He wasn't the first one. Actually, there was another one before this that was literally homeless and it just took me a long time to catch on that he was homeless. But that's Neither here nor
1: there. <laughs> um, I guess uh, I'll ask this right now before we even continue. It Was this a, a pattern for you, just dating these types of people? This is kind of the stuff you were used to?
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've noticed recently, actually, after talking to my mom and talking to my cousin, who was also raised by my grandparents, um, for the girls in our family, this, is the pattern. We all date the same person. My cousin has two kids with two different people that fit this bill. Everyone my mom has dated, including my dad, has fit this bill. Next to everybody that I've dated has fit this bill. Just not this bad. So I was in my junior year of college. I had spent... A year by myself because I decided to take a year off of dating after the last guy to figure things out because I knew that if I keep ending up in the same situation with the same person, then the only constant in this experiment is me. So, what makes me get into these relationships? over and over again. So I did that, but I didn't actually do any of the work. I just spent a year alone. Um, I didn't seek a therapist. I didn't read anything. I didn't even know what to look for. So I, really, I just spent a year alone. Um, when I met this guy, he begged me to go on a date with him. Begged me, begged me, begged me. And actually I was planning... And boring Um except the hour before we were supposed to meet, he literally sent me a text message and said, Come on, dork. Come on, you're going. You're going. I'm like, I was like, okay, I guess if you're going to call me out like that, I guess. Um, so I went, and it was a movie date. And it's kind of weird that he didn't meet me in the parking lot. I was expecting him to, and he didn't. He was already in the theater. So I had to stand in line and get my own ticket and meet him in there. But I just kind of figured, I'm a strong, independent woman. I can buy my own movie ticket. Um, So I did. And we actually ended up having a great time. It was a really great night. Um, We went there, then we got dinner, and then eventually we we ended up ah. Then eventually, we ended up at a club and just sat and talked all night and everything felt so together and if I'm completely honest, just because of my own insecurities, I didn't think that he would show any more interest. I figured it was a one and done would not contact me again. It was just done. It was not. <laughs> Um,
1: Why did you think so this that?
2: Morning, well, I guess my own insecurities, just thinking that no one really sticks around, that no one would really want to hang out with me, that no one would really want to be around me, that it was just, you know, a fleeting sort of thing, or uh, you, you found me and you, I don't know, figured out, within the night that I was not what you were looking for. I'm not exactly sure, but it definitely played on insecurities. Um, much to my surprise, he did reach back out a lot and was very interested. Uh, We started hanging out all the time. We were going out all the time. And it seemed like everywhere we went, everybody knew him. Everybody wanted to be around him. He was introducing me to all of these different people that I had never met. And I was such a whole body. I never went out. I never went out to clubs. I never went. I was the girl that if I got invited out to a college party, I would leave freaked out within 10 to 15 minutes. And then two hours later, all of the people that invited me there, my friends would be like, where did you go? We were so worried about you. And to the point that I stopped getting invited because I would freak out and leave every time. So that was the person I was. And him being close by me and everybody being like, oh my God, this is the girl that you were talking about. This is the person that is doing the, you know, you know, Everything's going so well. It really made me kind of be able to step out of my shell and really be able to socialize. And I really, really liked that. I really latched onto that. Um, within a few weeks of us dating, he had bought me a ring. I mean, it wasn't a wedding ring or anything crazy like that, but it was a ring. It was a moonstone ring. Um, This big thing from Nancy store uh, that, which I love antique furs. Don't even get me started. But, um.
1: <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> um, to. Don't worry. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, it was this one that I, I was like so floored by it. I was like, oh my God, here's this guy that everybody knows, that everybody seems to like and respect and appreciate. And here he is buying me a ring. And I was just. It, it did come off a little bit weird. Like there was like a ringing bell in my head. Like that's been kind of quick, don't you think? But at the same time, I was just everybody else I'd ever dated or been around never really appreciated me at all. So it was just really nice to be appreciated and to be loved and respected and be adored by someone who mm-hmm. put me on that pedestal. I mean, as we were went, it didn't matter where we went. It was oh, you're the girl, you're the US girl that everybody that he's talked about so much that everybody knows that you're doing all these things, and it just felt really nice to be recognized a little bit.
1: Um, and during this time, did he mirror you in any way?
2: My favorite band is ghost, and they're sorry, say that again. Really... I'm sorry.
1: What did you say? Your favorite band is.
2: My favorite band is the Mountain Goats. The and, Mountain uh, Goats. Yeah, and it's this indie folk, weird not weird, but band it's it's kind of a, a weird thing to get into. They were popular for a minute in the very early two thousands, but they still have like over twenty four albums and they're still coming out with music. But um you know, it's not something I expect anyone to latch on to. It's kind of niche. Anywho, and he said, "Yeah, I love this band, and you know, like they're they're really good, and I listen to them all the time. And yeah, I'd love to come with you to them. Like, great, wonderful, this is awesome." And he did, and you know, got out, walked to a close by bar. I was living in downtown at that time, so I think we even just walked back to my place from there. And it was, you know, a good night. He seemed so interested in so many things that were on my palette, like. My favorite band. My favorite, you know, um, the, the, my political leanings, which are a little bit lesser than left. Um, at one point, he even said um, that very early on in the relationship that he that all of his prior girlfriends had broken up with him because he was an asshole, but he. Work really, really worked on himself, and he wasn't that person anymore. Which also just charmed the hell out of me. Like, oh, you've had hardship. Oh, you've you've recognized faults of your own. You've been introspective and decided to change some things. So that was really just a big, oh my god, this this is this is great. Someone who can recognize their own shit and try to move forward.
1: Meanwhile, um, that's a red flag that <laughs> that he was giving you right there. Uh, uh, what, what, what other red flags were being thrown your way during this period well, where you were being a love bomb, mirrored, trust building?
2: Right. Right. When I was a kid, my dad being a big partier, he would drink and drive a lot, especially on cliffside highways and things that always really freaked me out. So... It was never something I ever entertained or even, you know, considered to be a possibility. Um, I remember once when we were first dating, we went out to a party. I can't even remember who or where, but um, a friend or a friend or he had so many friends, um, but... You know, we were both kind of drinking the whole time, and, you know, I was thinking, you know, we'll leave your car here, we'll get an Uber, we'll do something. And at the end of the night, he would say, he said, you know, I'm, I'm fine to drive. I'm like, are you sure you've been drinking all night? As of I, neither of us are okay. And uh, he was adamant about it. And at that point in the relationship, I didn't know him well enough to see when he was actually drunk. And in hindsight, he was definitely drunk and should have never gotten behind the wheel. And I remember us getting in the car and me saying something along the lines "If I'm really nervous. Can you just really take it easy? And I believe the literal, or at least the close to line he had was, the key was to be James Bond and to drive like James Bond. Um. Needless to say, the whole drive home, I was gripping the, the, uh, what do we even call that? The, um, the grip handle?
1: Something like the that. The
2: safety handle? The safety handle? I'm not sure, you know, like the handle above the door.
1: The dry and, cleaning um, handle, that's where you kind of stick it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I figured, you know, it's just a one time thing. It happened once. It's not going to happen again. It happened a lot. More than I was, I wasn't comfortable with it the first time. And I definitely wasn't comfortable with it the following times. And I should have said something, but who was I? He was driving like James Bond.
1: And and you liked him.
2: I liked him a lot.
1: Did you feel if you said something that, The relationship would be over when you did those things, so you just kind of went with it.
2: Oh, absolutely! I was terrified the entire relationship that it was going to be over at a moment's notice. That all the things are just going to fall apart, like I don't know, like snow or something, just crumble.
1: So, did you eventually end up like after this period of time when your you know your trust is built? everything is going well, at what point do things start to uh, fall off or maybe you get start to become devalued and fear obligation and guilt start running your life continuously?
2: Trying to think of when the whole guilt thing, I mean, I feel like the guilt thing started off, pretty immediately in hindsight. I mean, I just didn't recognize it as that. I think shortly after we moved in, around the four-month mark, we we moved in, and i got to be honest. um, Apparently, these are signs of PTSD, but there's a lot of things from... I can remember the beginning of the relationship, and I can remember want to move down here, but there's so many things from when we were living together that I just can't remember. And I was trying really hard to, like I was really trying to dig those things up. And the only thing I could really remember besides a couple of really nice things, um, like him bringing me dinner while I was taking a bath or dancing in the kitchen or um, a nice night out. Um, most of what I remember is like a single snapshot of myself having a panic attack against the wall, like with my knees to my chin while he screamed at me. And I am pretty sure we were both inebriated when that happened, but it happened a lot. And my panic attacks ramped up really badly during that time to the point where I actually got a therapist, but one thing I do remember very clearly, we went on vacation to meet his um, biological father in Connecticut, I think, yeah, it was Connecticut, and um, while we were there, pretty much each night, we would get into some sort of fight or another, and I would usually back down and just let it be, and I can't even remember what the fight was about, but... I remember getting to a point where it was so loud and so toxic that I literally just went and sat in the snow and his dad came down after hearing all of it and both of us saying our signs and his dad telling him to say sorry to me that he was in the wrong, that this is, Oh, this whole thing is stupid, which all of the fights are stupid. Um, and you know, to say sorry and then go to bed. So after a little bit of, groating he did say sorry and then we went upstairs and we went to bed and right after we turned off the light he turned over and he in the coldest chilling voice said i don't care what i said i'm not sorry And I just remember crying the rest of the night and that should have been a really, I should have left then because literally the hair on the back of my skin just raised up. And I was so freaked out when that happened. Um, and that was, I think a little bit less than a year into the relationship. Um, things started to slowly come up. Um, little things, little criticisms, little details that he would tell me. Uh, I think, I think it actually started off with my breath, him telling me on a near daily basis that my breath smelled really badly and that I should get something checked out because I probably have a rotting tooth or that my car was a piece of shit. Um, the two thing I kind of find funny cause my mom works in the dental field and I actually take really good care of my teeth and she checks my teeth and cleans my teeth. So, um, I knew I didn't have an issue with my teeth for sure, but he was relentless on that issue. Um, same thing with my car and that started to devolve into even more personal things. Um, how often I showered, how what I was allowed to wear to work, Um, the way I did specific things, the way that I would actually do my work duties because a lot of my work I do from home. So he would comment and criticize and try to control and change my my work habits as well. Um, Tell me that, you know, It's almost like telling the story of Mr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because when he was sober, he would be the over-criticizing, over-commenting, over-controlling type. But when he was drunk, he would be the waking me up at 4 o'clock in the morning to scream at how worthless I was and how there was so much wrong with me and how was so how was so broken and how he could leave at any time he wanted to and just... Scare me into just crawling up in a corner and screaming that he would stop, or eventually getting to the point where I would start recording him when he would come home. So it's kind of like Mr. Hyde and Mr. Not So Bad high or I'm I'm not sure.
1: There, um, when he did those drunk antics did he remember the next day or did he use that as an excuse?
2: The The first time that it happened, he attacked my weight a lot. Um, That I had gained weight, that I wasn't as attractive, that I was this, that I was a fat C-word, that, you know. Um, The next morning I gave him the cold shoulder and I didn't talk to him until I eventually just said everything that he said to me, and he apologized profusely and said it would never, ever happen again. But then it started to happen two to three days a week, during the week. And each time it would happen the time after, he wouldn't apologize at all. He wouldn't recognize it. There was many times where he would follow me from room to room while I would just please, just keep saying, please stop please stop, please go to bed, please stop, and he would just follow me from room to room and just scream at me or try to take his keys and try to leave, and I would have to hide his keys. This became so often I can't even pick out a single occurrence of it because all of those things just meld together, and it happened, I would safely say, about two to three times a week.
1: When he's following you from room to room, do you find that physically intimidating or like uh, intimidating in a way where you feel that something further may happen or no?
2: You know, I'm not sure. Um, I remember quite a few times because he would follow me from room to room, even though I'd keep saying stop, that I would literally just walk out the front door and just walk down the street and just sit on the corner he wouldn't follow me to the corner. He would just stay inside. But then when I would come back, he would act like nothing had happened. He would just be laying in bed, playing on the phone or playing a video game or whatever, but literally didn't ever acknowledge the fact that that had just happened. So I don't know if I was really scared physically. I think I was just really, really overwhelmed. Also, mind you, this is happening at like 4 o'clock in the morning on a weekday.
1: So how did this affect your work life?
2: Oh, dear Lord. Jeez. Um, um, I was incredibly sleep deprived because even when he wasn't pulling those antics, he was up till 7 o'clock in the morning in our bedroom playing video games on full volume with full brightness. Even though when we moved in, literally set up a place in the living room for him to play if he wanted to knowing that we had different, um, sleep schedules, but said, I can't even remember what the excuse was. I really don't. I, I I don't even know why I bought it, but, um, Did you put up a stink about that
1: or did you just let that slide? I did a
2: little bit, I, I did a little bit, but I, I really just let it go real easy. I was just, you know, whatever,
1: just, when you did I remember put once up a, we tried to... When hmm? you did put up a stink about it, was... Did he enjoy the conflict of it?
2: <laughs> I don't know if he enjoyed the conflict of it, but he immediately came back with a conflict, with a big fight, with a big, huge blowout discussion about, you know, like, he should be able to do this, and I shouldn't. Like, it's not... Uh, he he may have. I, I don't know... I wouldn't be surprised because he was always kind of looking for that that, that blowout, that me saying anything always led to a blowout. And so I became really – I was always not – strike that. Um, (laughs) I was always uh, really non-confrontational to begin with. So if I did say something, it always led to something. So that made it even worse. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean – at one point, I ended up trying to sleep with a face mask and earphones in, or not earphones, um, earplugs in. And that didn't work out well, but from there, his attacks on me just kind of became worse. He—I uh, I, With my whole OCD anxiety thing, when I get nervous, I kind of tend to pick up my skin a lot, um, specifically on my head. And every time he would catch me doing it, he would either just straight up scream at me or he would hit me where it was happening. And I kept trying to explain to him that, you know, that hitting me wasn't going to help, screaming at me wasn't going to help. It's just a nervous tick. I don't even notice I'm doing it half the time. I mean, I, he chews his nails constantly. So I was like, you know, same thing. It's the same thing. You're chewing your nails. You don't even realize you're chewing your nails. I'm picking up my skin. Don't realize I'm picking my skin. I don't hit you for chewing your nails. Maybe don't hit me for picking at my skin a little bit. Never got through to him. He never understood why I would get angry when he would hit me. Um, this all kind of came to a head in July where it was – just one too many nights, one too many nights of me feeling like I had to record him when he woke me up or I had to hit record on my phone so I'd have evidence of what had happened the night before. Not that it ever mattered, not that it ever changed anything, but he, um it, it, it just, I got to be to a place where I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, there was also a lot of bogus stories about, meeting with people in bars and hanging out in parking lots and things that didn't really make any sense at all. And the continuing guilt trips and... Uh, so, I, I, I was finally done. I couldn't do it. I, I had recorded so many conversations every single day. Was I remember getting off work early and instead of coming home, just driving around in circles for hours and hours and just knowing that I didn't want to go and be near him. So I told him I wanted to break up with him. I told him I was done. Um, I remember after telling him that he rose his head, looked at me, glared, I think flipped the bird and then went back to bed. So I left. I called some friends. I, talk to him about it. They all were like, yeah, totally. Like, if this is what's been going on with you and we haven't been hearing about it, then yes, do this. I got home. I walked in the bedroom door and he was sitting on the floor holding a framed picture of us (laughs) sobbing. And I just broke down immediately and just, you know, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. I don't want to hurt you, but I don't think you're happy here. I think it's causing you some duress, some some stress, and maybe you should go back home and, you know, back to a place where you feel more comfortable. And maybe we can work on it. We can work on it and, you know, find an equal footing again. And, you know, you don't have to do it now. You don't have to do it later. Like, you know, take the month and do it. At this point, even after he had moved out, I was still just in this ginormous fog. Just everything from the time he got the DUI until that point, then it's like I didn't know what was up from what was down. I didn't know what was left from what was right. Everything seemed really jumbled up and confused. Um, I uh, I don't know. He called me on Sunday, right? over like a FaceTime sort of thing and said, I don't see a future with you, you know, after all the weddings we've been to and all the things going on, you are not the person I would imagine marrying. And I really need to think about this right now. I really need to think about that right now. And he was totally stone cold, sober, stone in the face. And of course I was just sobbing. And... uh, (laughs) you know, it had been four years of us being together, three and a half of them living together, practically. Um, Actually, no, literally. Um, And I, you know, just wanted to respect his position on the whole thing and just said, you know, if that's what you're feeling, if that's what you want, then that's what you want. And I, I can't change that. So hung up, figured, you know, didn't know what was going to come after the next day, the next night, well, the night after, um, he calls me up and says, one of our things was he would play, um, like a horror, like an indie horror video game over, um, I think discord. And I would join in and we would talk while he was playing it, and like make decisions about the game. And he, uh, while we were doing that, just stopped playing for a second and said, Hey, I really love you. And then said it again right before we hung up. He's like, hey, "I, I or actually, I hung up, and then he called me back and said, hey, I really, really love you. And I was like, of course, I, I love you too. But I was really confused because literally the day before, he said he wanted to break up with me, and then he was done. Um, the day after that, he calls me up and says, you know all these plans he has, with this friends this weekend. How they gonna party? They're gonna do this. They're gonna do that. I'm like, cool, great, wonderful. I right, hope you have fun. Um, that Thursday he calls again, or I think we're just talking, and he says he makes some sort of remark about me coming up for the weekend, and I was like, mm, well, I thought you had plans. I thought you were doing stuff. He's he like, oh yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. You're right. I can't even. Oh, oh. Um that Friday, he's like, hey, so you're coming up tonight, right? And I said, no, never talked about it. We never talked about this. And um, why would you, do you even want me there? He said, I miss your presence or I miss your companionship, which struck me as kind of odd because what a weird way to phrase something like talking to someone that you either A or A or a or B are trying to fix something with or something else. I miss your companionship. Uh, uh, anyways. Um, I say, okay, well, I made plans for tonight, so I can't come up tonight. But tell you what, I'll pack a go bag and I will go over there tonight and I'll leave first in the morning. Okay, great. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. That's what he said. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. He knew these friends. We knew them together. They were a couple that had just gotten married. It's not like there was any sort of thing there. Um, Everything's going great. I talked to them a little bit about what's going on. Um, About 2 o'clock in the morning, we're still up watching TV or something and playing Rummy and just talking. And I start to get these messages from him and they're literal just word salad, just screaming at the bench, just paragraph on walls and walls of paragraphs, just screaming at me and calling me all sorts of dirty names and how, uh, uh, just, uh, it was a lot. And I think I didn't even answer. I just went to bed. I was just, I can't do this. I woke up in the morning. I think it's seven o'clock in the morning. I got my keys and I answered back. I'm like, do you just have a thing against me having fun when you're not there or something? I'm not sure what's going on. And it just started the whole thing over again. And where he just, I don't think I even said anything. I think he just kept going and going and going with paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of just obscenities of accusing me of all sorts of things and I finally got back home and I was shaking really badly. And, um, he, but one of the last things he said was, um, well, I'm going to go take a nap and I'm going to be awake. I'm going to be asleep for about an hour and a half, two hours. If you're not here, when I wake up, consider this whole fucking thing done. And, I don't know what it was about that message in particular, But I literally got my keys, I got back in my car, I went to the store, I bought a bottle of wine at 8 o'clock in the morning, I went home, I drank all of it, and I went to sleep myself. Because I just didn't want to even be in a position to drive. I didn't want the temptation, I didn't want to go anywhere, it freaked me out.
1: Are, is everything okay on that side? I'm sorry? Are you okay?
2: Yeah, I'm okay. Okay. I'm all right. I'm just... Uh, it's kind of a hard place to go to. Um, yeah, so I guess that was that. He broke up with me. Um. Kind of just coming out immediately I really wanted him back. I really wanted everything back. I believed I can honestly say I believed most if not all of the things that he was telling me, and knowing that I had had problems before with mental illness and him and not him but With my own traumas and my own things going on, I knew that I had things I needed to work on, so I figured it was all me. It was totally all me, and I was at fault here. And not to say that I'm not on a certain basis, but I I decided to seek out therapy again, and so I got a therapist, and... God, my mind was so messed up. It felt like... My head felt like... My head felt like... being in the center of a hurricane, where if you're right in the center, you can see all the chaos around it, but you think you're safe, but you're really just in the center of a huge mess. In hindsight, that's how I see it, but at the time, I think that's... Kind of where my head was. It was just a lot of chaos. There was a lot of things flying all around. A lot of. I couldn't put things in the right place. I felt like I really didn't have friends. Like I really didn't know who I was. Like I was just this empty shell of a person just walking around and not really knowing much of anything. Um.
1: So the, so the relationship is over and I've listened, oh. I've listened to you during this whole time and during the call that we did beforehand. So I actually just want to know what this experience has been like for you, right? Before we get into anything else, what has this experience been like for you to, to go through this process and talk with me?
2: Like just the pod, like just talking to you during this whole thing.
1: Or, or the difference between, I guess when we talked originally to now, what this specific instance today.
2: Because um, what, what's going on with you, talk-
1: what's going on with you right now during this, during the last hour uh, and a bit that we've talked.
2: I was able to, kick things apart and slow things down a lot more this time and actually look at it and try to put the right words in, I guess. Um, The first time I was really nervous and just kind of just exploding at the scenes. This time it was a lot more, I mean, like I've been thinking about a lot today, but just, Trying to actually look at things the way they were and not just letting them jump around in my head, you know?
1: Yeah, because for everyone who's listening, the first time I spoke to you, you were talking so fast <laughs> that I couldn't. Well, I said to you, I, I don't know if I can have you on the show. One, people won't be able to understand what you're saying. And two, if I have to edit, there wouldn't be a place for me to actually make a cut anywhere because each word melded into the other. And today, you just weren't slower than before because I asked you to look up on YouTube ways to slow down while talking. (laughs) Um, And today, it was the opposite. And I'm curious on this side because... Whereas last time you were speeding through things and you weren't feeling things a lot uh, today, I felt that you were feeling a lot of the stuff you were saying and I could hear it on the other side of what might be going like with breaths and things like that. So I was really wondering how this process of the slowing down has affected you because there was a difference in, um, listening to you feel maybe pain or, or being upset where last time you didn't have that emotion (laughs) at all. So I was, I was curious. Um,
2: I, I, I'll have quite a few nervous tendencies that tend to keep me from feeling, which is something I've been experiencing and learning about in therapy. Um, The first time we spoke, I, uh, was really nervous and I was just speeding through things and just getting them out, but they weren't, I wasn't any of the, it was like, like almost like looking through frosted glass where you're like, you're seeing things, but you're not really seeing things. Um, where as soon as we got done talking the last time, I swear to God, I felt, it was like, I felt everything all at once, like. All the things I said, and then it was just this 24 hour cycle of me just overthinking and overanalyzing everything. And just, I knew I had to slow down. I knew I had to actually feel the things and remember the things and just actually pick them apart and really look at them instead of just glossing over the snapshots. If, I don't know. Uh,
1: hey, so when it comes to, I guess, Do you have post-traumatic stress disorder? Yeah. So when it comes to post-traumatic stress disorder and you also have obsessive thoughts, how is that playing out in the aftermath for you?
2: Uh, There's a lot of rumination. There's a lot of picking one thing or one situation or one conversation or a conversation that hasn't happened yet or will probably never happen and just overthinking it into oblivion or just picking it apart or just over – I'm just picking synonyms at this point.
1: Um, Are you – the conversations that you're making – not that you're making up, the conversations you're having or obsessively having in your head, are they with yourself or are they with another person? Like are you Usually t- with like,
2: another person. So who
1: is that person you're talking to? Uh,
2: sometimes it's him. Sometimes it's my grandmother. Sometimes it's my dad. It depends on what exactly I'm bringing up. Sometimes it is with me and just tearing myself down and telling myself that what I'm doing is not helpful and that I'm being dumb or... Much less kind words
1: than dumb and um, so you with your therapist because I have no experience in PTSD I'm not a therapist at all what are, what kind of things for people that have PTSD uh, and these obsessive thoughts what are you what do you work on and how do you work on it? Cause I'm, I'm sure because I'm, c- I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of people that are listening that have these issues I've talked to a bunch of people um with PTSD and most of the time um, it's just not a great fit to come on to the show because it's a lot of jumping and in, in, in it's a lot of jumping in, in in conversation so a sentence could start off one place and then it ends up somewhere else it just it's hard to follow <laughs> Uh, you, 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 laugh or you laugh about it because, it, because it, 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 I'm sure that's uh, with you. So how is, I guess, in the aftermath, let, let me, I guess, kind of go back and like, because uh, I have no idea where I was in that conversation at all. Who knows what's going on? Um, so how are you and your therapist uh, dealing with it and what kind of practices or or whatever modality uh, your therapist is working with, what are you doing uh, to uh, help you with your PTSD and your obsessive thoughts? Do you do EMDR or anything like that?
2: I have done EMDR in the past. Um, uh, not this time, but I have done that one before, which was great. Um, I, uh, <laughs> multiple therapists. Um I think this time around it's more like trying to slow my head down and recontrol what I'm responsible for versus what other people are responsible for, and not, um, one of the things that is really prevalent is, uh, I tend to walk into a room and kind of try to base what other people's, like, try to guess what they're going to do next to um, um, try to figure out what they're going to do next or what their emotions are at or what's going on in the room to judge if I should, what I should do. So it's a lot of reactionary sort of behavior based around preserving myself around, um, trying to protect what, or, or, you know, say the right thing, say the right, so that I don't, I don't, it's just a, a survival tactic that's kind of left over that, mm-hmm. um, ah, a lot of my nervous ticks based around loud noises. I can't stand, um. I don't know. I, like I said, I really actually don't know that much personally about PTSD, except Mm -hmm. for the fact that multiple people have told me that I have it. So that's (laughs) still, that's still an avenue that I need to explore. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's not, yeah. So
1: so what kind of things are you diving into? Meditation, yoga, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: like things to slow you down? Yeah.
2: Yeah, things to slow me down, slow my head down. It tends to go I, – I I can't – I've always had a hard time slowing my head down. I, I tend to overthink. One of the things my therapist has been having me do a lot is uh, journaling. So I've been working, like, when I write, even doesn't matter what I'm writing about, I'll say it or I'll mouth it as I write it, and that would help. But also just deep breathing, making sure that, you know, I mean – everything I say and I'm not trying to just get as much information out as fast as humanly possible. Um,
1: so, which is
2: what I usually do because I usually think that most people stop talking and stop hearing me as soon as I start talking, which might be about half of the fact is the reason why I talk so fast.
1: Um, (laughs) There's the person from the other time. (laughs) Um, so it's like, I guess the deliberacy... So I can't even say the word deliberate. The, de, oh, my God. What is wrong with me? i the, the uh, I'm right. problems, too. The oh. deliberacy... Oh, I can't even say the word. It's see?
2: okay. I know.
1: Um, I, I, I got you. Thank you. Hope everyone else understands that, too. The... The the D. <laughs> not, I can't even try the rest. Um, of the... You
2: just made worse. Um, uh,
1: um. Is it something like the journaling helps? But is it something that you practice in front of a mirror every day?
2: Necessarily, um, I was literally just practicing because I knew that I talked too fast. To do this, so it was at you know. Because um, there was there was a,
1: there was a point when we were talking, and I don't know if I would edit it out because there's just very long pause at a certain point, and I'm sitting on my end wondering, did you hang up? what's kind of going on. I don't know. And then you eventually popped back up and I don't know, remember what you said. And I was just like, hi. And (laughs) is that something where you're feeling words that you're saying and connecting the emotion for the first time? Uh, Like being able to connect an emotion to the words you're saying, was that something that you had problems with before? And is that something that the deliberateness is making you feel the words and feel the emotion that are connected to those words?
2: You know, I didn't really think about it like that, but that makes a lot of sense. Um... It felt more like I, I know what moment you're talking about and it was right after um, <sighs> um, I guess putting words to feelings in general is kind of hard mm-hmm. but Um,
1: (sighs) or is just coming up with the right word of how you're feeling hard I think
2: it was more like because I deliberately slowed down and decided to deliberately speak and say each word and actually think about what I was saying, that by the time that the feeling part of my brain caught up to the thinking part of my brain, they were actually able to meet for a second, you know? And it wasn't, good feeling it was like um like an oh 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 and it just took a second for all that to catch up
1: and when you have that when you have that feeling and that's an uncomfortable feeling is it Tough for you to stay within that feeling? Like when we talk about this right now, is this a conversation you don't want me to have with you? Uh, and we should just. It, it, it's. Huh? And we should just not have this conversation. It's not something that you feel comfortable with.
2: I think a big reason why I ended up here to begin with was because I avoided for so long having uncomfortable feelings. So, like, actually acknowledging them and recognizing them as being real instead of trying to fix them and just let them be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, that's one of the things I've been trying to work on is realizing a feeling feel a feeling let it be let it be
1: (laughs) (laughs) just be was my affirmation for about a year about eight years ago that was my affirmation it was just be and just be and whenever I would walk around, I would think of myself as an actual bee, and yeah. I would think of the <laughs> I would think of the colors of I was yellow and black. And when I would get in, my head would start moving in different directions. I would say to myself, "Just be." And when yeah. I woke up in the morning for that whole entire year, all I did was list every day. I woke up and I listened to. Um, let it be by, by the Beatles and that's how, and how I, how I started my day. And then that was my thought process, uh, during the day. And then sometimes my therapist would, cause that was our thing. When I would leave, she would go buzz, 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 buzz <laughs> as <laughs> if I was a bee. And, and as, oh, how embarrassing is this story to tell? Look at the direction oh this podcast God. has gone, and we've gone <laughs> off, off the oh rails my. here. This is a, the, an interesting version of of this uh, podcast. Um, so, I guess these are the things that are going on in the aftermath. And as far as relationships and things go, you're probably you know very far away from entering one. Like you have, you're you're trying to build yourself back up. Um. From the bottom, like completely, you have to rewire, I guess, your brain. Everything. Everything. You're doing yeah. everything. Because, you know, this is generational. And I guess the buck is stopping with you. Like, you're determined. I'm, like, this is.
2: I am incredibly determined. Like, after
1: but, after, after you're the last generation that this is going to happen to. If or when you do have children, if that's something that you ever want to do, this ain't happening to them.
2: No. No, Jesus Christ, I hope not. Um yeah, that's that's really what the bottom line is, is that at this point, as my therapist says, I am undateable, but I will get there. <laughs> um, there there's something there's something kind of I mean, I think when during our first session, um which she's the one who told me, by the way, that I was being a narcissist and got me, started to get me out of this funk. Um, and which led me on to actually like do more research and find your podcast eventually and read stuff. And I don't know. Anywho, um, yeah, she was like, you know, the house, the house is burned down and it's all but rubble, but the structure is good and we can rebuild that. And there's something kind of really beautiful, but also terrifying about knowing that you're in charge of building your own castle and designing it the way you want it to be and being the person you get to create the person you want to be. And it's not who you were. It's not your past that built it. You can, you have the power to change it. It's really difficult and it's really hard work, but at the end of the day you have the keys and there's also something really terrifying about that. Like, should I really be trusted with these like, should I have these? Somebody with a contractor's license should probably have these keys. Um,
1: so you're learning to, trust. You, you have to, learn how to trust yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so. Knowing that I have the power and all that, sh- you know, happy, fun time, daytime stuff, but also the terrifying part of, oh no, I have the keys. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it really is all up to me.
1: So I guess before we end off the show here of me being a bee and you being a bee. <laughs> twin twin bees. <clears throat> uh do you have any parting words for everyone? Any words of wisdom?
2: Just be, man. Just <laughs> be uh just be.
1: And a one, oh. and a two, and a one, <laughs> two, three. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother, Mother Mary comes, comes to me. Speaking, speaking words, words of wisdom, wisdom.
2: Let, it be. let
1: it be. And in, in my hour of darkness, darkness she, she is standing right in front of me. me. Let it be. 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 Yeah, there will be. Let it 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 be. Whisper the words of the wisdom, wisdom, let it be. <clears throat> and there we go. There's the, 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 <laughs> the, uh, was that a duet or was that, <laughs> what was that? Um, Jesus
2: Was this just an elaborate hoax to give me this thing awful?"
1: <laughs> it is what it is. And I thank you for sharing <laughs> that song with me. And I apologize for everyone who had to listen to it. I thought it was a you know we we just I just wanted to sing with you. I thought it was appropriate for us to do so.
2: It works. It went well.
1: (laughs) I think. Thank you, Conti, once (laughs) again, and thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Have a good night.